where we got to go to a place called Declaration House. Now, this was recently built. This was built by the park and, uh, to get ready for the bicentennial in 1976. It was destroyed in 1883, but it was the site where back in 1776, in a room just like that one, Thomas Jefferson, Declaration of Independence. This is cutting out, isn't it? Let me see if, Mike, if we can maybe try something else. Let's try this one over here. Thank you, Chad. We'll do that instead. Good deal. They have, like I said, they've reconstituted it. So what you're looking at there is not the exact room, want to be clear, but it looks just like the room where Thomas Jefferson spent a few weeks at the end of June and the 1st of July where he wrote a number of different things, uh, significant correspondence, and it was there that he produced one of the most significant documents in human history. Jefferson was a remarkable person. I've read four biographies of him. I've been fascinated by his life and his genius over the years. If you've been to Monticello, you've seen something of his architectural brilliance. He designed all of that himself, the scientific sophistication of it. Even today, you look at it and you wonder if we could reproduce that even today. Jefferson was Secretary of State. He was Vice President before he became President. He not only authored the Declaration of Independence and the Virginia Statute on Religious Freedom that was foundational to America as well. Jefferson spoke English, French, Italian, and Latin. He could also read Greek and Spanish. Back in the early 60s, John F. Kennedy gathered together a group of Nobel laureates in Washington and said to them that they were the most significant group of intellectual heroes ever developed, ever gathered at the White House with the possible exception of when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. <laughs> There's maybe some truth in that. But the conflict in his story as well. Across his lifetime, he owned more than 600 slaves. Years after his wife died, he fathered at least six children with his slave, Sally Hemings. And the contradiction in his story is in some ways uh, perhaps a parable for the contradiction of America as well. It's in that Declaration of Independence that Jefferson wrote one of the most significant statements in human You know these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A radical statement for the day, a revolutionary statement. You and I take that for granted, but no one did before 1776. The idea before that was that your life, your liberty, your pursuit of happiness wasn't an inalienable right. That came from the throne. That came from the king. That came from the sovereign or the government or your owner or your master or your lord or whatever your feudal system might be. The idea that you have inalienable rights endowed by your creator to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, was radical, revolutionary. G.K. Chesterton said America is the only nation founded on an idea. And that's the idea. That's why we exist. That's the genesis. That's the foundation. That's the fount of it all. But if I could change one word, with all deference to Jefferson's genius, what I wish he had written would have been to say, unalienable rights among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. That's what I wish he'd written. There was a Judeo-Christian worldview that was at the foundation of American democracy at its founding. 
I'm not at all up here to say that all of the founding fathers were godly evangelical Baptist deacons, all right? I'm not here to say that at all. But even for those that were more deistic, like Franklin and Jefferson, there was a consensual Judeo-Christian worldview that was almost assumed at the foundation of the culture. For instance, when George Washington offered his farewell address in 1796 after a second term, he said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Our second president, John Adams, said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Thomas Jefferson, even though his personal Religious beliefs are very much subject to controversy today, said, Injustice in government undermines the foundations of a society. A nation, therefore, must take measures to encourage its members along the path of justice and morality. Well, would you say we have departed a bit from that over these centuries since to what many historians and scholars today call a post-Christian, post-modern, relativistic, pluralistic, secularist society. Go back to his founding statement, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness endowed by their creator. For many today, if we have to choose between life and happiness in the context of unborn life, many choose happiness and therefore endorse abortion. If we're choosing between liberty and the pursuit of happiness in the context of Sexual liberty versus religious liberty. Many in our culture today are choosing happiness and sexual liberty at the expense of religious liberty. In fact, religious freedom is more under pressure today, under threat today than at any point in our history. For many in our culture, if they're choosing between their creator and happiness, they're choosing happiness. Did you see the news this week about the atheist group that placed these banners in No God We Trust in Fort Worth, Texas? Downtown Fort Worth, Texas, in no God we trust. I want to be really clear about this. I love this nation. I am so grateful to live in this nation. As Jan and I were watching the patriotic celebrations and the parades and the fireworks and all of that this week, I was just so grateful to be here. I didn't really know how much I appreciated being an American until I lived overseas when I was in college. You sometimes have to leave where you are to realize where you were, you know. Uh, spending a summer in East Malaysia on the island of Borneo caused me to realize how much I appreciated air conditioning <laughs> and uh, running water and heated water and uh, all of that. But even more than that, how much I appreciated the culture and the freedom and the liberty of this nation. When I travel overseas, even to some place like the Holy Land, I come back and I'm so grateful to be back. I know you feel the same way. You're grateful to be an American. You're grateful to live in this country as I am. But really, on this Independence Week, if we're thinking about the greatest way we could honor our country, wouldn't it be to give our country what our country most needs? Wouldn't that be the answer to that? Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How can we be a nation like that? So I thought about that, prayed about that this week, and I've been drawn to this familiar text. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And perhaps we'll choose holiness over happiness. With the strange dilemma that the more we choose holiness, the more the happiness we seek becomes the joy of the Lord.
and the abundant life of Christ. So how does this work? It starts with us. My people are called by my name. I can't give you what I don't have. I can't lead you where I'm not willing to go. I can't ask America to do what I'm not willing to do, right? Spiritual awakening, moral awakening, the moral transformation our culture so desperately needs starts with you and me here today. We are the choir. I mean, you're not here for any reason except you wanted to be here on this holiday weekend to come worship God. It starts with you. starts with me. If my people call by my name, what do we do? Well, first of all, we humble ourselves. We admit we need more of God than we have. If we don't do that, nothing else happens. If you think America is exactly what God wants it to be, if you think our moral trajectory is everything the Lord wishes it to be, and if you think that our nation is all that God wants us to be, well, then you can stop here. But if you believe that our nation needs more of God than we have, if you believe that we need a great movement of God's Spirit, if you believe we need His providence and His power and His protection, perhaps more than ever, then the first thing we do is humble ourselves and say to God, we need more of you than we have. God, I need more of you than I have. I need to experience you more than I am. I need your power. I need your glory. I need your lordship. I need your leadership. It starts with me. It starts with you. We humble ourselves. Then we pray. In the Hebrew, the idea is to pray for the collective. Have you prayed for your nation today? 1 Timothy 2 commands us to pray for our leaders. doesn't say whether they're Democrats or Republicans. doesn't say whether you agree with their latest tweet or not. doesn't say any of that. commands us to pray for those in authority. We're to humble ourselves and admit we need more of God than we have. Then we're to pray for our leaders and pray for our nation and pray for a great movement of God's Spirit. And then we make all that personal. Seek my face. To seek somebody's face is to seek intimacy with them, right? I can see all of your faces in this chapel just fine. But the last place I pastored with 2,000 people on Sunday, I could only see a certain number of faces. And so if I wanted to seek their face, I'd have to leave the pulpit and come down and walk down the aisle and to death and wake up the deacons and all that, you know, and walk on out there to seek their face. That's what God wants you to do. wants you to seek his face. Are you seeking his face in prayer, in Bible study, in worship? When you do that, here's how you know. You'll turn from your wicked ways. If you say, I don't have any wicked ways, well, then you're not seeking his face. You know? The closer we are to God, the further away we realize we are. If this was a dark room, you wouldn't see the mud on your pants. It's the closer we get to the light, the more we realize we're in the dark. Satan loves to turn the light down slowly so that our eyes adjust and we're sitting in the dark without knowing it. If you'll humble yourself and admit we need more of God than we have and we'll pray for our nation to experience a great movement of his spirit and we'll begin seeking his face with more passion and intensity than ever, we will have to turn from our wicked ways as a result. Praise God. And when we do, he says, I'll hear and I'll forgive and I will heal their land. Not I could, not I might, I will. So on this July 4th weekend, I'm convinced standing here today that the greatest gift I can give my nation, this nation I love, is to pray for a movement not of happiness but holiness, starting with me, starting with you. Back to Jefferson one more time. thought this was profound. We in America do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate. Would you participate in a movement, 
of holiness for the sake of this nation that we love. And in light of all the sacrifices of all those who have given so much for the freedom we celebrate today. I'll close with this. In 1921, the remains of an unknown American soldier found in France were brought to Arlington National Cemetery and they were buried in what became known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. In 1932, this monument was placed at his grave. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Then in 1958, the remains of an unknown soldier from World War II were interred to the left. The remains of an unknown soldier from the Korean War were interred in the center. In 1984, the remains of an unknown soldier from Vietnam were interred to the right. And then in 1998, DNA testing actually identified that unknown soldier from Vietnam. And he was returned to his family and reinterred. And today that third marker stands empty. And the inscription says that it stands in honor of all those missing and unknown from 1958 to 1975. The tomb of the unknown soldier. It was in light of their sacrifice that W.H. Auden wrote these words. To save your world, you ask this man to die. Would this man, could he see you now? Ask why. Let's pray. On this July 4th weekend, I really do believe the greatest gift we can give our nation is not just parades and fireworks and patriotic singing as wonderful and important, beautiful as all that is. I really believe what God is calling his people to do is to give our nation the gift of a people who humble themselves and pray for our nation and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways and join a movement of holiness. Would you give that gift to your nation starting today? Would you say yes to God's invitation right now? Would you just say to your father that you're humbling yourself before him? Would you pray for our nation to experience a great moral and spiritual awakening? Continue to pray for that. Would you ask your spirit to help you seek his face more personally than ever before? Would you covenant with him to turn from whatever wicked ways his spirit shows you in your life? And then would you claim his promise to hear and forgive and heal this land we love? Father God, I want to live a life that so honors you and so serves this nation that if one of those men and women who died for this country were to ask me why, my life would be the answer. I pray that for me and for us as we thank you for this nation and for this week and most of all for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.